Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, and it's TGIF. My goodness, it's time for the weekend. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to call in today, you are flexible today. So you can call in about stuff I may or may not be going to talk about. Of course, you do have to get past the call screener, but... He cut you a break today, at least that's what I tell myself, whether it's true or not. We, my friends, need to tackle raw politics now. Word is beginning to circulate that I was right. (laughs) I told you so. Word is now coming out that uh, Ron DeSantis will, upon the conclusion of the Florida legislative session, announce his run for president of the United States. The Washington Post reports uh, he's doing this as well. Multiple people are being told. He's in Davenport, Iowa right now. He's been doing a book site. Massive crowd showed up. In fact, there's a a story in the Des Moines Register that uh, he is is seeing big crowds among the grassroots. So he's roughly tied in Iowa with Donald Trump and polling, and that doesn't mean anything because uh, it's a um, it's a caucus. So being a caucus, it depends on who shows up at the caucuses, who's got the energy, and all of that. And DeSantis appears to have a lot of energy, and in having a lot of energy. He it looks like he's got a big, big crowd. Now, here, let, let me let me flip over real quick. Uh, live on television, you've got CNN there talking about this. He describes himself as a doer, not a talker, but does not mention, of course, Donald Trump by name. But he does promote what he's done in Florida, his proposals, and also what he calls fighting against the woke crowd. We chose freedom over Fauciism, just like Iowa, and we were right and they were wrong. So, of course, he touts his proposals about how he kept the state of Florida largely open. The former president actually uh, um, has been disagreeing with that. He points to the fact that uh, during the early months of COVID, the Florida governor actually closed the state down. So that will be one of the differences that they hash out once this campaign is fully joined. But Chris and I can tell you, talking to Republican voters here, you're in a couple different camps. You're either uh, fully supportive of Donald Trump and want him to win back the White House or you're looking for an alternative. And the Florida governor is high on the top of the list of many Republicans. That's CNN happening right now, actually. DeSantis is in uh, going to Des Moines and Davenport. Now, it's March. So what is the weather in Davenport? It's 34 degrees there at the moment. Um, And in Des Moines, it's 35 degrees. It's cold, it's March, he's hitting the campaign trail, and it comes, the word spreads, DeSantis is assembling his team behind the scenes. On top of that, his memoir has sold more copies in its first week than books by Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton. What's notable here is the New York Times list. Now, why do I say this? The New York Times does not put at the top of its list books that have been purchased in bulk. So here's what happens. Uh, You've got a super PAC or you've got a campaign. Your campaign goes out and buys 50,000 copies of the book. 
in buying 50,000 copies of the book, it skyrockets you to the top of the list. So you're at the top of the Amazon list. You're at the top of the Publisher's Clearhouse list. You're at the top of all of the major publisher lists except the New York Times. The New York Times won't put you as number one based on bulk purchases. The New York Times list only puts you there if individuals have actually bought the book. And by the way, this doesn't include electronic sales, just actual copies of the book. DeSantis being number one on the New York Times list means he's got a massive pile of individuals who are buying the book. Now, I got pushback on this earlier, saying, no, that's not really true. The New York Times will put you there, and they'll put like a little symbol next to it. Yes, but uh, several publications today have confirmed that DeSantis is there based on individual uh, purchases, not bulk purchases on the New York Times list. On top of that, there's a story in Politico. This is by Seth Maskett, and the title is Trump is Losing His Grip on the Grassroots. Republican grassroots leaders are increasingly losing interest in former President Trump and eyeing DeSantis in 2024. That's according to a new survey I conducted with GOP county chairs across the country, the first survey in an ongoing project. It's designed to track the shifting state of what's often called the invisible primary, that lengthy and critical period between now and when actual voting in the 2024 presidential primaries begin. Future surveys will focus on the views of Democratic Party chairs, and some will survey both parties at once. It's still early in the campaign, and many respondents are not committed, but the survey results are a potential ominous sign for Trump as he seeks to claw his way back to the White House in the face of resistance. County chairs are a group whose opinions are worth gauging. County chairs are far more politically attentive and committed to their party than average American voters. They're going to show up at the polls on primary day. They're both activists and prominent local figures in the party who will likely help influence how others view the contenders. At the same time, county chairs are a bit removed from the top level of leadership. They're not party elites at the national or state level. They're still part of the grassroots. County chairs are the kind of people that successful candidates want on their side during the invisible primary. So Politico surveyed uh, the county party chairs in 35 states, roughly 3,000 Republican party chairs. Now, only 187 responded. You do have to keep that in perspective, but it was a broad swath of the Republican party that responded. People in middle and south Georgia, people in Arkansas, People in lower Alabama, where the hardcore base is that's expected to be Trump's hardcore base, and they're all enamored with DeSantis. You follow along with that, and you also get this interesting story out of the uh, Iowa Des Moines Register that Donald Trump's Republican support has eroded in Iowa. The former president is seeing his campaign erode. The percentage of Iowa Republicans who say they would definitely vote for him if he were the nominee has plummeted by more than 20 percent since 2021. Iowa is where the competition starts, says pollster Ann Selzer, who conducted the Iowa poll. She is the gold standard pollster in Iowa. Her national polls may not be fantastic. Her Iowa polls are. What's interesting is that he's still got a little more support than Ron DeSantis, but it's 44 percent to 42%, which is most interesting. Uh, Pence is at 17% and and Haley is at 16%. That is viewed as very favorable. Now, mostly favorable 
is Trump at 36, DeSantis 33, Pence at 49, Haley at 37. So you got a large swath of Iowans who like all these candidates, but the hardest of the hardcore support goes to Trump, except he's statistically tied with Ron DeSantis, 44 to 42, with the margin of error in this polling. The problem for DeSantis and everyone else, though, is this. And it's one Republicans have to come to terms with. About a third of the Republican Party will vote for Donald Trump no matter what. About a third of the GOP will vote for Donald Trump no matter what. Differentiators Data is a Republican consulting firm. They tested candidates in the Virginia Republican primary. DeSantis led Trump by three points. But when there were just DeSantis and Trump together, DeSantis led Trump by 17 points. What's happening behind the scenes on the Republican side is you've got other contenders who are thinking of getting in. Chris Christie and Chris Sununu, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire, were on stage at a donor event put on by Carl Rove in Austin, Texas, where they were going after DeSantis in large part because DeSantis is trying to play Ukraine down the middle. They think they've got him. He's not saying don't fund it, but he's not saying go all in. He's saying yes, but no blank check. And they say, oh, he's trying to be nuanced. He's trying to be too clever. We need to attack him. And they're trying to call him Donald Trump light. Here's the problem for the attack on Donald Trump light. There are some in the Republican establishment who do not like Donald Trump, but the party has moved in Trump's direction. The party would rather a Donald Trump light than an establishment McConnell guy. That was my takeaway this past weekend from donors. The donors of the GOP seem to be smarter than the politicians of the GOP. The donors of the GOP recognize that the base of the party has moved from where it was eight years ago. The base of the party is more populist. The base of the party is more in line with Trump. The base of the party is more engaged on those cultural issues than the establishment is. The establishment guys don't care about abortion. They don't care about the wokes. They don't care about the transgender agenda. And the base of the party does greatly. And that's why DeSantis is making a cultural play. And to the extent people like Chris Christie or Chris Sununu don't understand that, they're going to be left behind in primaries. Their sole purpose will be to crowd the field and help Donald Trump, the man they actually don't want to help. That's kind of the bizarre hilarity of all of this is that these people, the Sununus of the world, the Chris Christie's of the world, they don't want Donald Trump. What they can't bring themselves to acknowledge, it seems, is that the base of the party may not want Donald Trump, but they want someone with a lot of policy characteristics like Donald Trump. They don't want to go back to the era of George W. Bush. The sooner these other guys realize it, maybe they clear the field. There are, of course, already people in the race, and they're not going to get out of the race, and they've got the right to be in the race. What I continue to find notable, though, is this really, I, I, I say this repeatedly, I, I know this is broken record territory for me, but I've said repeatedly this, with the exception of Trump being the, the guy trying to take out DeSantis, this has the feelings of 2000, when the base and the donors were all moving towards George W. Bush. I am told very reliably that the DeSantis team has studied 
George W. Bush's rise from 98 to 2000, how he navigated the press, how he pivoted, how he locked in donors, how he locked in the grassroots, that that's kind of a model. You may not like George W. Bush, but his campaign to marginalize people like John McCain and others in the party, the Steve Forbeses and Alan Keyes of the world, to marginalize them to be able to become the nominee, it's actually one of the brilliant campaign strategies because Bush should not have been a sure thing in large part because his name was George Bush. And the last George Bush, his father, had only served one term. There was a lot of baggage there. He was perceived, George H.W. Bush, as moderate. The base wanted a conservative, so George W. Bush pivoted to be a conservative, and he was able to lock in the base. He was able to lock in the donors, and he was able to build momentum to shut out people like McCain, who gave him a run for his money but wasn't going to win. It's actually kind of a, a very interesting dynamic that the DeSantis team has studied. They've also put a lot of money into focus group in polling how to deal with Trump, how to deal with the attacks, and what tax attacks work against Trump. The notable attack that works best against Donald Trump, from what I'm told, is Dr. Fauci. But for Donald Trump, Dr. Fauci would not have been a thing. Trump platformed him. Trump was the one who pushed everyone to shut down. When Trump attacks DeSantis for closing down his state, DeSantis can respond, well, you told me to do it, and then you got mad at me when I opened early. Same like you did for Brian Kemp. They've studied this, and it's one thing that actually, I I, I guess I feel intrigued about in this case, is the DeSantis team has been planning to do this for quite a while, and they have been studying and planning and plotting for a very long time their play forward. They have a playbook, and they seem to be following it, including a slow roll and a slow build till after the Florida legislative session. And they do believe that once he announces, he'll see his polling go up. And like Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, her polling went up when she announced a hypothetical candidate never polls as well as a real candidate. So what happens if DeSantis and Trump are neck and neck and DeSantis is hypothetical? What happens when he's now a declared candidate in the polling? Well, this is your interesting one of the day. TikTok has hired Joe Biden's uh, Joe Biden connected firm SKDK. That's uh, what is it? SDK Knickerbocker or whatever. It is a. A major Democratic firm, I know some of the people who work there, they are very far to the left. They have hired this consulting firm is a signal they've given up on dealing with Republicans. Um, SKDK is operated by a number of uh, top Democratic operatives, including Anita Dunn being the founding partner who returned to the White House in May as a senior advisor. Uh, you've got Kate Berner in the White House, Herbie Ziskin in the in the Pentagon. You got Sabrina Singh, the Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary, uh, Tyler Cherry, the Interior Department Press Secretary. They all came from SKDK, and it is a big lobbyist for Democrats. What's notable here is that TikTok hiring this organization largely precludes it from getting any sort of uh, feedback, buy-in, or support from Republicans. You don't go to SKDK unless you've given up on working with Republicans. That's really notable here. They've got a, their top lobbyist, TikTok's top lobbyist is a Republican. They're using this firm. There's a bipartisan group of senators that wants to shut down TikTok in the United States. And so ByteDance, the parent company owned by the Chinese Communist Party, 
uh, has hired uh, former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott, John Bro of Louisiana, uh, works with Crossroads Strategies, uh, former Representative Jeff Denham of California, Republican, Bart Gordon, a Democrat of Tennessee. They're trying to stockpile as many lobbyists as they can across the board, but when their primary principal firm is SKDK, that signals they've given up. They've given up on the GOP. So now the question is, will Democrats support this Chinese surveillance app? Will Democrats go weak on China because SKDK is throwing money at them? We'll find out. You can be on the show by calling 877-973-7425. And it is Friday, so it's a free-for-all here. It might convert to an open container Friday. But first, let us go to the phones to Lewis, who's been waiting patiently. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Um, during the time of the COVID-19, um, I'm a truck driver, and we were under the Homeland Security Act. You had a letter run out here. And during that whole time, I've never had a vaccine. I've never been tested whatsoever. Uh, but when that was going on, and Trump offered the ships to California and New York, the Democrat governors had a real opportunity there to run with this and show us that they could govern seriously in a serious situation. But then they stubbed their toe and they turned it all about, you know, it, Trump may get the credit for what he did. Instead of using what was there and showing that they could govern, they'd have had a different look about themselves for us to say, okay, maybe we can put the partisan stuff aside and we can trust Democrat or Republican when it comes to something serious. But we never got that. And I think that right there is the most disappointing thing of all is that how this thing got shuffled and, and, and the loss of the, uh, the COVID thing. Yeah, look, the the Democrats never wanted to give Donald Trump credit for anything. And and it's kind of set this tone for the Biden administration where a lot of Republicans just flat out will not give Joe Biden any credit at all. If Joe Biden were to rush out tomorrow and save a child who is about to be hit by a train, the Republicans wouldn't give him any credit. And they wouldn't because that's what the Democrats did to Donald Trump. Donald Trump actually did some great things, including... The vaccine development, uh, Operation Warp Speed that Joe Biden wanted to take all the credit for. And the Democrats don't want to give Trump credit for developing the vaccine, doing it quickly, deploying it, implementing the supply chain to make it happen, uh, help working with private donors, including Bill Gates and others, to speed it up. They don't want to give him any credit for that. They don't want to give him credit for the help that the administration gave. In fact, when you talk to him, they try to credit Mike Pence because he was often the one on the phone calls. And that sets the tone for so much else that's going on in politics right now. 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. All right, I'm, I'm going to talk about this one. This one bothers me. Call me old-fashioned if you want. I remember watching a TV show, and I cannot for the life of me Remember what show it was. It was a it was a hospital TV show. I don't know if it was Chicago's Hope or, or um, one of those other ones that's still on out there, or some other one. But I remember distinctly there was an episode of a woman who was a nurse at the hospital who was lesbian. <laughs> 
who refused to live her life openly as a lesbian until after her father died because her father was a religious person who she loved. And she explained it was out of respect for him that she did not do that. And I just, I distinctly remember that episode of that TV show. I can't even remember the TV show. I could picture the woman's face, Hispanic actress. Um, But I remember that episode because it was so novel that she wasn't doing it because she was scared. Her friends all knew she had the relationship, but she did it because she loved her father, even as she disagreed with him on the issue. And she did not want to offend the father she loved by living in a way in front of him that he did not want. And you can say she was wrong. You can say she's right. It was her decision. I think I, I, I was listening to a song the other day. And it had a line in the song, I'm still blaming my parents for the way their parents raised them. I'm still blaming my parents for the way their parents raised them. It, it, that, that line struck me. There's, there's some wisdom in that that uh, I am more and more mindful that I raise my kids and and do things with my kids in some ways that um, maybe I shouldn't have or maybe they'll come to resent. For example, it 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 all spilled over last night in my house about my my daughter not feeling welcomed in our church because of the way people treated us in the past over political decisions. She doesn't feel like she fits in and um, she's reweighing school options. And if she were to stay in our community, she would want to go find a different church that she loves our Sunday school class, but doesn't feel welcomed in the church. And it, it's her internalized trauma of things that happened really to my wife and me that she overheard us talking about and nothing was ever really directed at her, but it amplified in her head and some things did. And, and my, my wife and my kids, I, I'm a pretty easy laid back personality and let stuff go. And, and I know the rest of my family does it. And here I have to tread a little carefully because I know my parents listen. And there are things I remember as a kid that weren't necessarily the greatest experiences. And there's no reason to relive them. There's no reason to to shove them off. I mean, things that happened years ago, why let those things fester when they're done? You can't control them. You can't change them. Let them go on. There are probably some great stories I could tell you guys of my upbringing that I wouldn't do it out of respect for my parents. And so I that, that sets the stage for you, for me to talk about this, that Colin Kaepernick, who just won't go away, he's like herpes, he just keeps coming back. He accused his white adoptive parents of problematic upbringing, of perpetuating racism. The former NFL star told CBS Chicago he struggled growing up in a quote-unquote problematic household. He's got a graphic novel coming out, Changing the Game. I know my parents loved me, but there were still very problematic things I went through. 
it was important to show that no, this can happen in your own home and how we move forward collectively while addressing the racism that's being perpetuated. The graphic novel tells the story of Kaepernick's journey from high school into a storied athletic career that heavily centers around his lack of choice in his future. His parents particularly tried to steer him in a direction they thought was best, which led to several fights between them and their adoptive son. One of those issues was getting cornrows that she told him, your hair's not professional, you look like a little thug. The conversation with his mother has continued to impact Kaepernick's life decades later, even influencing his now Afro hairstyle. Why? Uh, why would you do this to your parents? Why would you do this to your parents? Did you know Colin Kaepernick's parents had two sons and they both died? And they adopted Kaepernick when he was a newborn. They actually adopted him in the hospital. The birth mother handed him to them. And they raised him and they provided for him and they got him involved in sports and he made it to the NFL. And now you're going to go on television. This just, this, this rubs me the wrong way. There are things that, that uh, happened to me as a kid and, and growing up that I'm, I just, I, I look back and I was like, I don't know why my parents would do this. And mom, you don't have to relitigate them with me. Um, it just, it, every child has something they think, I wish my parents hadn't done that. Why do you want to air your family's dirty laundry on national television when your parents are still around? You can't even wait for your parents to be dead to even laugh at or relitigate or laugh at it in particular, laugh at the things that happened then instead of internalizing this trauma. And this is something I've noticed actually with a lot of younger people than Kaepernick, who's actually a grown man, is they want to allow the trauma of their childhood to define them. They don't want to let it go. They treat it as some sort of superpower, and they're deeply traumatized for the rest of their lives, and they live out their trauma. I I see this happen with with friends of mine and their kids. I worry about it with my kids, that that there's this therapeutic culture today that you should allow your trauma to define you as opposed to you can't do anything about it. It was it was back then. Let it go. Let it go. Nobody wants to let stuff go anymore. But to drag your parents through the national press, my parents participated in systemic racism. My parents told me I looked like a, never mind, they were actually trying to help him. Maybe he didn't like it, but they were trying to help him. They were trying to express to him that in some way your personal appearance matters. And if you look like this, you may not get the job. You may not get the athletic scholarship. You may not get something. And they wanted to help him. And instead, he's like, it's racism. Maybe his parents were trying to protect him from racism as opposed to being racist themselves. themselves. I just, I think it is a terrible, terrible thing these days, the oversharing of family trauma, particularly when your parents are old. Have some respect for the people who raised you. Have some respect for the people who adopted you. 
Your birth mother chose not to abort you, but chose to give you up to two people who lost two children, and they wanted a son. And your father said the only difference between you and him was your skin was a little browner. And he treated you otherwise as his son. And he took you to your baseball games and he took you to your football games and he worked with you to get better. And now you're going to disrespect your parents. That's disgusting. But this is what we know of Colin Kaepernick. He's not a nice individual. He's superficial, he's shallow, and he's self-absorbed. Remember when he wanted to get back into the NFL and he came to Atlanta and he was going to work out of the, the Atlanta Falcons facility, and instead, at the very last minute, only telling a handful of reporters, he decided to show up at a, at a high school football uh, field. All the reporters went to the uh, Falcons training facility in Gainesville, Georgia, and he showed up near the airport, only told a handful of reporters, and then blasted them all and said, oh, he never had a shot. It was a, it, They were all out to get him. This dude has a chip on his shoulder, has no grace, no sense of forgiveness, and now it's spilled out into the pages of a graphic novel about his life. He's just trying to be talked about at this point. And I guess it's working because I'm talking about him. I just find it disgusting. I genuinely find it disgusting. There are people who have terrible parents who have been traumatized by the abuse of their parents, like real, actual abuse of their parents. This guy, his parental abuse was to suggest he change his hair so he's not be hindered in society. They tried to protect him, and he interpreted it as racism. What a pathetic person this guy is. Shame on him, and shame also on the people who support him. By now, you should realize he's not a nice person. He's a self-absorbed narcissist who thinks only of himself and is willing even to make his parents be a spectacle in the show that is his life. Shame on him. I just, stuff like that deeply deeply frustrates me. I'm I it, for all the things that I have so many friends who when you you talk privately, you talk about your family and and every parent did something that the kid later wished that my kids I'm sure have a long list of things they wish I hadn't done. But the 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 dragging of your parents like that is just gross. It really is. Now, we need to move on and I need to tell you about Patriot Mobile a conservative cell phone company that gives you guaranteed great service. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, you can move your service. Why should you move your service? Because as their business grows, they take a portion of their profits and they fund the causes you care about, like the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement, veteran and first responders. They even help conservative parents battling the wokes on school boards, and they're batting a 1,000 on that right now. I, I have to tell you, um, I get guaranteed great service wherever I go with Patriot Mobile. And the thing that I love that you may not realize is the cell tower of your current company is probably the same cell tower they use. That's how they give you guaranteed great service. They use the towers the other other companies use. But also, you can take your existing phone number to them. And if you've got an unlocked cell phone, you can take that to them. Or you can get a brand new phone. You can get a brand new phone number from them if you want. 
Uh, they're good people. They share your values. They're Christian conservatives. They want to do business with you. You can also call them at 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. Or to make it easy, just go to patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K today. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is a free-for-all on Friday, 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program And this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are in the nation, they can help your business grow. If you're buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, expanding a franchise, buying out your business partners or your competitors, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Well, the Biden administration is trying to do the hard sell on something regarding fentanyl. They have put powerful scanners at the border that all the trucks and people have to walk through. And the the scanning equipment is designed in some way to check for illegal drugs. A multi-energy portal is what they call it. The equipment allows Customs and Border Patrol to scan nearly six times as much cargo per day. They're installing these machines along the border, causing backups and delays. The Nogales Crossing is the front line and it is backed up in uh, San Diego, and they, they're talking about how people are, are smuggling these things. Officers are finding sacks of baby blue fentanyl pills inside seat cushions, car batteries, hollowed-out bicycle frames. One pedestrian tried to come through in January wearing a sheaf of tablets that looked like a pair of shorts. Another smuggler jammed 14,000 pills inside the metal frame of a walker. Fentanyl so small, they're hiding it in places that weren't imaginable before, says Michael Humphreys, uh, Customs and Border Patrol's Nogales port director. This is this is how Biden is pivoting, doing PR, saying we've got technology. What about closing the border? What about building a wall? The scanners are great. Don't get me wrong. It's powerful technology, and it can detect these pills in ways that uh, even the drug-sniffing dogs can't, and that's fantastic. But what about securing the border? What about stopping the gangs? And, you know, even the Washington Post includes this paragraph. Mexican drug trafficking organizations manufacture the pills in clandestine labs using chemicals primarily imported from China, mass-producing tablets, that retail on U.S. streets for less than $5 a piece. So you, the Washington Post, are admitting um, you're admitting that China is involved. You're admitting you know of the clandestine labs. And it's the Mexican drug traffickers. Seriously, y'all? Why aren't we, if we know where the clandestine, find the clandestine labs, blow them up, take out the cartels. The technology is all good. We're helping to stop some, but you're not stopping at all. You could stop it all by going to war with the drug cartels. You should go to war with the drug cartels, Mr. President. Declare them foreign terrorist organizations. 